It is so good to have you with us today as you worship the Lord. You know, our topic for the last couple of weeks and for the next couple of weeks after this is His revelation is my resolution. The revelation of God is what I have resolved to study and learn and grow in every single day of my life because it's more important to me than anything else. The topic is that the text is Proverbs 29, verse number 18, that without a revelation, where there is no revelation, the people will perish. They'll be unrestrained, and ultimately they will perish. But happy is the man who keeps the law. And I'm spending time doing this with you because it's going to lead me into a sermon on the second Sunday of March entitled, What We've Learned About the Church One Year Later. It's exactly one year since everything began. And so we're going to tell you what we've learned about the church in America and around the world one year later. And you'll be surprised at what you will hear when you understand what has happened in the evangelical church around the world and here in this country. But it's important for us to know what we've learned about the church and what we can learn about how we as a church here at West Covina need to live to the glory and honor of our God. And yes, I know that many of you want to get back into Hebrews. I do too. But you, you don't realize how much I have to say every week and I hold it back. There is so much I want to tell you, so much that God wants to reveal to all of us through his word. And so we'll get back into Hebrews, which is th themed the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. And so we're looking at the sufficiency and supremacy of the word of Christ. We know that the incarnate word is supreme and sufficient, but we need to understand that the inspired word is just as sufficient and just as supreme because Psalm 138 verse number two says that thy name, O Lord, is magnified, or thy word, O Lord, is magnified even as thy very name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And yet his word is on the equal plane of his name. And we need to come to grips with that. We need to understand that. So let me give you an illustration. On Wednesday night, we talked about this. We talked about when the Lord returns in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he returns from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Why? Why? Because our Lord is fire. Go back to Exodus chapter 3, right? We know he dwells in, in unapproachable light. We know that you can't see him and live because he will consume you. So in Exodus chapter 3, God spoke to Moses from what? A burning bush, a fiery bush. In Exodus chapter 19, God was in the fire on top of Mount Sinai. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, he speaks about the fact that as he reiterates Sinai, he tells them how afraid they were to go on the mountain because God was in the fire. Why is that important? Because Jeremiah 23, 29 says, is not my word like a fire? You see, his word is on equal plane with his name. Remember in Luke chapter 24, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were walking and they had no idea that the Lord was walking with them. 
when he came up to them and asked them what had taken place that weekend, they, had no, they, they were just perplexed. They were downtrodden. And the Lord would walk with them and speak to them. And he would speak to them about the Old Testament and how the Old Testament prophesied the arrival of the Messiah, the death of the Messiah, the resurrection of the Messiah. And you know what those two men said? They said these words, did not our hearts burn within us as he explained the scriptures to us. Listen, God's word is like a fire. And when you are here today and you hear the word, when you read the word, there should be a burning in your heart. If there's not a burning in your heart, there's something wrong with your soul. The word of God is a fire. It burns in your heart. It's a purging influence. It purges away sin. It wipes away all the dross. And so that's why we read the Word of God, because it's a cleansing agent. That's why we study the Word of God, because it matures us. That's why we listen to the Word of God, because God's Word is everything. It is sufficient, and it is supreme. It is like a fire. And when you hear it, There should be a burning sensation in your heart because you're under conviction. You're comforted by the scriptures that have been spoken to you. And when you read it, you realize how it cleanses you from your sin. That's why our Lord said, you have been made clean by the word that I have spoken unto you. Why? Because his word is a cleansing agent, a purifying agent, unlike anything else we can ever experience. Why do we say that? Because we need to understand the sufficiency and supremacy of the word of God without a revelation. Where there is no revelation, the people are unrestrained. The people will perish. The people will die. You need to give them the revelation of God. And if the revelation of God is not purging your soul, listen carefully, if it's not purging the dross away, you are pushing it away. Remember Romans chapter 1? Such an important text. To understand today, the Word of God is so relevant that you can read what took place 4,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. It's as relevant now as it was then. That's why it's called the living and abiding Word of God. It is so concise, it is so pure, so clean. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, Romans 1.18, of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You see, they hear the truth, and what does man do? He suppresses the truth. He pushes the truth away because he doesn't want the fire in his bosom. He doesn't want to be cleansed by the word of God. So he hears the truth, and what's he do? He pushes it away. He suppresses the truth. And it says, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. I don't care if you live in New York City, Los Angeles, or Boga Boga land and some island far away. God has made it very clear, very evident to you that there is a God, he is a king, and he rules and reigns. And you can say whatever you want to say, but that's what God's word says, and God's word is true. And so therefore, we need to understand that. And then he says this, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. People aren't confused. The world's not confused. It has been clearly seen, being understood 
that what was made so that they are without excuse. Man's without excuse. Every man that's ever lived, no matter where he is, no matter where he was born, no matter what family he's involved in, no matter what country he lives in, he's without excuse because that which needs to be seen is clearly evident to him. And then it says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So God gave them over. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Listen, the wrath of abandonment is God's way of showing you he's going to give you what you want. And he abandons man. He has abandoned America. You can sing God bless America all you want. You're not going to do that. He's abandoned America. He's given us over. He's given us over, what's he say? To the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them for they exchange the truth of God for a lie. How can you exchange something that you do not know? You exchange the truth of God for a lie. Romans 2 verse number 15 tells us that the law of God is on the heart of every man. So therefore they exchange the truth for a lie. They know the truth. and They exchange it, you know why? Because they do not want to be accountable to a supreme being. Why? Because we live in America and there's an American religion that reigns supreme. And that American religion says, I am autonomous. I am independent. I am beholding to no man. I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want with my body. I can do whatever I want with my finances. I can do whatever I want with my life. I am accountable to no man. That is the American religion that reigns supreme in our country. I am accountable to no man. So God says, I give you over. I give you over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. They decide to worship the creature rather than the creator. Who does that? Everybody who believes in abortion does that. We live in a world where we say, you know what? It's my body. I can do what I want with my body. And if I choose not to keep the baby, I will kill the baby. And when you do that, guess what? You've just set yourself up as God. God says in Deuteronomy 32, 39, it is I who gives life, it is I who takes life. And when you say, you know what, I'm going to take a life, you say, I'm God. I'm accountable to no supreme being. I can do whatever I want with my life and my body. I am accountable to no man. And that is such blasphemy. And everybody who believes in abortion falls in that category. I'm not going to make an excuse for that statement. That's a true statement. They believe they are God. They would not say that, but they've exercised, they've usurped the authority of the living God. They've said, I can take a life. And God gave you no authority to take a life. 
let alone an unborn child in the womb. And then he says this. He says, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their own error. In other words, there are sexually transmitted diseases because man has abandoned God's ordained way for men and women to come together. And if you are a homosexual, if you believe in transgenderism, you have blasphemed the name of God because you have said, I am God. I can do with my body what I want. I can sleep with who I want. I can do whatever I want. Forget about God. I am not accountable to God. I am on my own. And you set yourself up and you usurped his authority, and you have said that you are God, and God gives you over. That's what Romans 1 says. I didn't make it up. It's right here. God gives them over because they decide to worship their way. You can't worship God your way. You can only worship God his way. More about that in a minute. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, how can they acknowledge a God if they believe he doesn't exist? But they do, you see. Everybody believes in God. Everybody believes that God exists. How do I know that? The truth of God says so. It says, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know what? The ordinances of God. Even though they know the law of God. Even though they know what the word of God says. They all know. There's nobody alive who doesn't know. They all know. And so he says this. And although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. They give hearty approval. They sign executive orders in the Oval Office and give hearty approval to those who commit abortion. They give hearty approval to transgenderism. They give hearty approval to the LGBTQ movement. And they say, I am God. I can write an executive order. I can do whatever I want, no matter what God says. And they say, I will not be accountable to the living God. That's America. That's where we're at. And God has given America over to degrading passions, to a depraved mind. Listen carefully. That's why it's so important to understand that God's word, without a revelation, the people will perish. They need to know what God says. Someone needs to tell them because happy is he who keeps the law. Listen to this. Proverbs 23, 23. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. Buy truth and do not sell it. We live in a country where the evangelical church has sold truth. 
They've compromised truth. Solomon says to his son, prize truth so much, you will do everything you can to purchase it. How do you buy truth? How can you buy the truth of God? Let me tell you something. Whenever you purchase something, it costs you. When you buy truth, it costs you. It's going to cost you friends. It's going to cost you family members. It's going to cost you work associates. It might even cost you your life. But you buy truth. And you dare not sell it. You dare not sell out truth. You dare not compromise the truth of God's holy word. But so many times we don't understand that God's word inspired is as sufficient and as supreme as God's word incarnate. So when you open the word of God and you begin to read it, you are standing before the throne of God as if God is speaking these words to you. And you bow in submission to the authority of God's holy word. My friends, this is so important. And I'll, teach, I'll tell you more about this as we move to March, March 14th and what we've learned about the evangelical church in America one year later. But let me tell you something. As your pastor, I never want to compromise truth. I never want to sell out to something else because I want to purchase truth because I prize it so much. It's like Matthew 13, 44 and 45, the parable of the rich, um, the parable of the, of the, of the lost treasure and the, and the parable of the, of the pearl of great price. They would sell all they could to purchase the field. They would sell all they could to purchase the pearl because they realized the value of it. Do we realize the value of truth? I'm afraid the evangelical church in America does not. And it's so sad to me. So incredibly sad. Listen, I love the Lord Jesus Christ so much that I will not compromise his truth. And that's the way I will love you the most. People have said that they will not come to church because we do not mandate masks. Do you know that every church that mandates you wear a mask blasphemes the name of God? That doesn't mean you can't wear one. You can. If you feel like you need to wear one, you wear one. That's fine. That's not a problem. But once the church says and puts an external requirement upon you that God does not, I have violated God's holy word. I have set myself up as God, and I have said in order to worship God, you must do this. I have become a Pharisee in Judaism. And I have required externals over the internal. I've said you can't come into the assembly unless you wear a mask. No pastor, no elder board ever has been given the authority to do that by God. That is blasphemy at its highest end. And I will stand by that statement. And I'll have enemies because of that statement. That's okay. 
I will not violate the truth of God's holy word. When God says, you worship me in spirit and in truth, and you come because your heart is cleansed and right before me, God says, if it was about burnt offerings, great. It's not about that. It's about a heart. It's about the internal part of a man. And so if you want to come, and you want to come any way you want to come, that's fine. And you want to wear a mask, that's fine. No one will ever judge you because of that. No one in this church will ever speak down to you because of that. We welcome all who come, no matter how they come. But God forbid, woe to the church that puts external requirements on the people who come to that church because God cursed the Pharisees because they did so. He said, woe is you. And so we need to be very careful about what we do. We cannot do that. Before God, I cannot do that. That would mean I would usurp the authority of God in your life and demand something from you that God does not. And I cannot do that. And we will not do that. But you see, that is how you know your pastor and your elders love you. Because they love God so much, they will not violate his word. The pastors who say you must wear a mask are saying they don't love you near as much because they don't love God enough to never compromise his word. Now, I know that's kind of harsh. And people watching are probably thinking I'm crazy. But it won't be the first group that's thought I was crazy. And it's okay. Because I want to buy truth and never sell it. I want to get wisdom, get instruction, get understanding. I want the truth of God to rule my life because it is sufficient and supreme above all else. God's word is everything. That's why, listen, that's why we come inside and worship the king. That's why we're not outside. Why? Because truth to Christ can never be treason to Caesar. Samuel Rutherford, he was so right. Truth to Christ cannot ever be treason to Caesar. The church of Jesus Christ, when we came inside, we told you this is a revelation, not a revolution. This is a revelation that we serve a higher king, the same king that every governor is accountable to, the same law that every government official is accountable to, we are accountable to. And therefore, we will submit to the revelation of God no matter what because God says you must gather together, you must worship together, you must honor me and glorify my name. So we gather together to worship his name. I said a couple of weeks ago, and I'll stand by that statement, we will never close the doors of this church ever again. Ever. Because we will not sell truth. We will purchase it at any cost. I've been reading a book this past week called Strong and Courageous by Tom Askell and uh, Jared Longshore. You need to get this book because this book talks about 2020 and how the church, the Christians need to be strong and courageous in this society. And he gives a quote from a Chinese pastor who in 2018 
the Chinese government crackdown on Christians. Pastor Wang Yi is his name. He pastors the Early Rain Covenant Church, and along with more than 100 of his fellow members, was arrested, harassed, and worse. Pastor Yi prepared written documents in advance of the persecution he saw coming. He wanted to make sure his church would be properly instructed about how to think and react to persecution if he were no longer available to teach them. So he wrote down 14 decisions in the face of persecution. What will I do, he says. This is number one. The number one is this. Never stop gathering together. Under no circumstances will we stop or give up on gathering publicly, especially the corporate worship of believers on Sunday. God's sovereignty is higher than any secular authority, and the church's mission and the Bible's teaching on not neglecting to gather together is higher than any secular law, regardless of whether the Religious Affairs Bureau and the police take administrative and forceful measures towards Sunday worship, whether or not their enforcement follows due process. I will resist by peaceful means. I will not cooperate with the police banning, shutting down, dissolving, or sealing up the church and its gathering. I will not stop convening, hosting, and participating in the church's public worship until the police seizes my personal freedom by force. Now listen carefully to what Tom Askell says. Our Chinese brothers refuse to give up under persecution what so many Christians voluntarily neglected or dismissed under ease. Did we not? We stopped worshiping together for 10 weeks so easily. We were wrong. I was wrong. I need to ask your forgiveness. I was wrong. That should have never, ever happened. And when the people are persecuted, and they stand strong. And we in America have been so Christianized by a comfort gospel. We so easily subject ourselves to a governor who is not the king of kings, nor is he lord of lords. By truth, do not sell it. It is the most important thing. It is supreme and as sufficient as God himself is. And that's the message we're trying to get across. And that message is this, that the revelation of God, without that revelation, the people perish. Without the revelation, the people are unrestrained. Look what's happened in America. Look what's happened in, our, in, 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 in society, all around the cities of our country. The church that gathers together as one is, a, is the best testimony for God than anything else that we do. This is our testimony. And so we look at the revelation of God that reveals to us his person and everything about his person. He is the person of peace. He is the person of protection. He is the person that manifests his presence. He is the person that is the one who grants us peace. He is the one who helps us understand his providence, his plan, his purposes. His person is what tells us about his purification and ultimately his perfection upon the people of God. Everything about the revelation of God reveals to us who he is and what he's done.
And we need to buy that, never sell it, come under the authority of God's holy word and never turn away from it, never compromise it. God's word is everything. And I'm afraid that the church in America, God's word is just an add-on to our present lifestyle. It's something we do on Sundays, but it doesn't affect the rest of our week, but it should. It affects everything else we do. God's word is sufficient. God's word is supreme. And we need to understand that. Without the revelation, the people of God perish. So in Psalm 84, 11, what's it say? It says, you, O Lord, are a sun and a shield. He shields us. Before he shields us, he shines down upon us. When he shines down upon us, he shines in us. So he might shine through us because now we are the light of the world. Our Lord enlightens every man, John 1, 9. He is the light of the world. Our Lord God is a sun and a shield. He shines down from glory. He makes sure we understand his beautiful presence. He shines down in us that he might shine through us for the glory of his kingdom. And the best way he shines through us is to show that we see him as our shield, our protector, the one who watches over us. We live without fear of anyone in the community. We never fear what man can do to us because we fear the true and living God. And so we understand that. And because he shields us, he shepherds us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And everything in the Old Testament pointed to the Messiah as a coming shepherd, the one who would gather his flock together, the one who would lead his people together, the one who would be the shepherd of the people of God. He is our shepherd. He is my shepherd. And I trust that he's yours as well. That you could say as a psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd. So not only does he shield us, but number two, he shepherds us. And because he shepherds us, number three, he satisfies us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He satisfies the longing soul. And without that revelation, the people are unrestrained. Everybody is seeking satisfaction. Everybody wants fulfillment. But only Christ himself satisfies. Nobody else. So we need to understand that. So just as there was prophecy concerning this shepherd that would come, certainly there was prophecy about this satisfier who would come. Because in Malachi 3, verse number 1, he is the one who is the delight of our soul. In Malachi chapter 4, verse number 2, he's a son of righteousness who will rise with healing in his wings. And when he does, you'll be like the calves who go out of the pen and frolic around with joy and happiness because that's what the son of righteousness does. That's why Haggai 2.7 says he is the desire of the nations. He is the only one who can satisfy the nations of the world, the people of the world. Only Christ can do that as shepherd, as shield, and as satisfier of man. He satisfies us, and we rejoice in that. If you've got your Bible, turn back with me to Genesis chapter 15. Let me show you how this works. This is so important, so important. 
Abraham was restless. Because Abraham was restless, God rebukes him. Once God rebukes him, he gives them the reason for his rebuke. And then he gives them the reward as a result of that reason. Abraham's restless. Why? We know this because a couple of weeks ago we talked about it. Because he just defeated the kings that had come against his nephew in Sodom. And he defeated them. But would they come back? Well, he had to be in fear because God says, do not fear, Abram. God wouldn't tell you not to fear if you weren't afraid, right? So the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, do not fear Abram. Okay, there's the rebuke. He is restless. The rebuke comes, do not fear. The reason, I am your shield. I will protect you. I will watch over you. And then he says this, I am your very great reward. The reason you do not fear is because not only will I protect you, but I am your reward. In other words, Abraham, listen. If you never receive the soil, the land of promise, if you never receive the son, the seed of promise, I will satisfy you. He would receive the land, the soil. He would receive the son as promised. But he says, even if you don't get any of that stuff, I am still your reward. Abraham, I'm your all in all. Abraham, I am your satisfier. Abraham, I am your everything. You must understand, Abraham, that without me, there is no satisfaction in life. Yes, I've given you a promise of a land, and yes, I've given you a promise of a son, but even though you don't have those things, Abraham, I am your reward. I am your very great reward because I am the satisfier of man. No one else can do what I do. And so when you understand that, you realize that Jesus is all you need. But Jesus is never all you need until Jesus is all you got. Augustine made it very clear. Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. Our hearts will always be unsatisfied until they find their rest in the true and living God. In Genesis chapter 14, just the previous chapter, God was recognized as El Elyon, the possessor of heaven and earth. God says, Abraham, the one who possesses heaven and earth is yours. I am your reward. I possess it all. And I am El Elyon. I am your reward. Abraham, I want you to be satisfied with only me. And I wonder today if you are satisfied with only Christ or if you're looking for something else to satisfy you. We live in a world where we value the material over the spiritual, the temporal over the eternal, and we've missed the joy of the one who satisfies our soul. How does he do that? Oh, this is so good. So good. Psalm 107, verse number 9. For he, the Lord God of Israel, 
satisfies the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. He fills the hungry soul with goodness. Listen, Psalm 119.68, God is good and doeth good. And only a good God can fill your heart with goodness. What is he filling you with? Remember, back in Exodus chapter 33 and 34, when Moses wanted to see the glory of the Lord, show me your glory. And what did the Lord say? I can't let you see my glory. I'm going to incinerate you. Moses, i got a plan for you. I can't burn you up. I can't let you see my glory, but I'll let you see my hind parts. I'll let you see my afterglow. And so he hid Abraham in the cleft of the rock. He says, I will let all what? My goodness pass before you. God is going to fill you with his goodness. What is his goodness? His goodness is his attributes. Because he talks about his long suffering. Talks about his forgiveness. It talks about his, his mercy and his grace. And that he is the God of truth. God says, I will fill the hungry soul with my goodness. I will fill you with my presence. You will have me because I am your very great reward. You need to be satisfied only with me. I am good and I only do good. Later it says this in Jeremiah 31 verse number 14. My people shall be satisfied with my goodness, saith the Lord. Same thing. What are the people of God satisfied with? They are satisfied with God and his goodness. If you are here today and you live an unsatisfied life, there are two things wrong. One is you are not saved, you are unrepentant, or two, you have sought satisfaction elsewhere outside the plan and purposes of God. And you need to examine your heart because God is the God of goodness who satisfies you. What did Mary say in Luke 1.53? He has filled the hungry soul with good things. The psalmist, Psalm 17, verse number 15. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Psalm 31, verse number 19 says this. How great is thy goodness, which thou hast stored up for those who fear thee. How great is God's goodness that he has stored up for those who fear him. Listen, if you don't fear God, you miss out on his goodness. His goodness is his presence. His goodness is his reward. Abraham, I am your reward. I am your goodness. The soil is good. The sun is good. But the Savior is the essence of goodness. I am everything. I am your reward. And that's why the psalmist would say what they said. Remember Acts 14, 17, even to the unbeliever. Listen to this. He did good and gave you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with good and gladness. God is even good to the unbeliever. He gives them rain. He gives them fruit in their seasons so their soul is satisfied with goodness. What is the goodness? It is the fact that God is the possessor of heaven and earth. He rules over all. He sends the rain. He does all this. He's in charge. And Romans 2, 4 says, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. 
when I realize that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from the living God and I realize that I'm damned for eternal hell, never to be in his presence but always from his presence, and then I hear the words, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And I realize that God is so good because he's merciful. He's kind. He's tenderhearted. And when I deserve hell, he grants me heaven. The goodness of God leads me to repentance. Psalmist said in Psalm 15, I shall be satisfied. When I awake with thy likeness. The psalmist knew that all through life he had the goodness of God. But the ultimate satisfaction is when he dies and wakes up in glory. And he has that glorified body. And he wakes up in the likeness of his Savior. God says, Abraham, I am your very great reward. If you go 10 chapters later in the book of Genesis to Genesis chapter 25, listen to these words. Abraham dies. Genesis 25, 7. These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man, and here it is, Satisfied. Abraham died satisfied. Why? Because God was his very great reward. Abraham had to learn about the goodness of God and how the goodness of God and all of his attributes were all available to him, were all a part of everything he was going to do. And so he'd live a life so that when he came to end, to the end of his life, which is really the beginning of life with God in glory, was that he could die satisfied knowing that when he awakes, he'll be satisfied with the likeness of his God. I wonder if you were to die today, that you would die satisfied. Abraham did. You see, without that revelation, people are unrestrained. They're out of control. They will always seek satisfaction elsewhere. They will always be searching for something they'll never get. That's why Romans 1 is like it is. They suppress the truth. The truth that burns in their bosom. The truth that is like a fire in their heart. They suppress it because they don't like the heat. They don't want to be purged from their sin because they think that somehow their sin is going to satisfy, but it never does. But they keep going after that sin and going after the sins. God says, okay, that's it. I give you over to your passions. I give you over to your depraved mind, to your degrading passions. You're on your own now. The wrath of abandonment because you suppress the truth. You know the truth, but you will not obey the truth. You know that I exist, but you will not be accountable to the God who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's why we buy truth and never sell it. It is the most valuable commodity on the face of the earth. 
We cannot afford to compromise the truth of God's holy word. As fathers, we cannot compromise the truth of God's holy word. Finding out all the gory details of Ravi Zacharias this past week and all the sin that he committed before he died, he sold truth. He compromised the truth. And his ministry is completely over. How sad. How heartbreaking is that? That she would go through life as, the, as one of the world's leading apologists, but toward the end of your life be willing to compromise truth, to sell out truth. And then for your family to be left reaping the consequences of your sin. How devastating is that? Oh, my friends, God is your shield. Live as if he is your ultimate protector because he is. God is your shepherd. Live as he is the great provider of your soul. And he is your satisfier. He is the only one who could bring pleasure to your soul. Nobody else can. Nothing else will. This is the best Valentine message you'll ever hear. Because the one sitting next to you might buy you a beautiful gift, might say that they love you, and they probably do. But they can never satisfy the deepest longings of your heart as the one who is your very great reward. If you don't know him today, you need to come to saving grace in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the conviction that it brings. Truly, Lord, I am convicted. Truly, Lord, the word of God burns in my own heart, realizing all the things that I need to hold myself accountable to, to your word, and to follow through as a pastor, as an elder, along with our elders. Lord, we want to live pure and holy lives, glorifying you. And Father, we have wrestled over the, over the year with all kinds of things, unlike any other year we've ever lived. And we've had to examine our own hearts and make sure that your truth is never sold and that we are willing to pay the price because we love truth so much. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? He who seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who is willing to lose his life shall keep it. Lord, we give our lives away because we realize the value of truth. So no matter what happens at work, with our families, with our friends, we are willing to lose all that and never compromise the word of the living God. We pray this in the name of our soon coming King, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.